Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. The one, the only, Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. Dr. Most, my friend, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Dean. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, We've got many health issues to discuss here today. But uh, something that came up a few minutes ago, we were talking about this Chinese balloon, and somehow we get veered off into uh, the fun that you can have with helium balloons, inhaling the helium, and, you know, it changes your voice. Uh, number one, how does what's going on when that happens? And number two, how much damage did I do to myself constantly doing it as a kid? Well, it's... It's kind of unusual when you when you bring in helium, it deprives your body of oxygen. So it's kind of like if you were holding your breath. So it really isn't dangerous, but it really isn't good. But you can have a lot of side effects from it. People get dizzy. Yeah. Some people even can lose consciousness. So certainly you want to be careful about that. Um, but really, it, it stops your body from getting oxygen. So you you have stopped the the breathing mechanism essentially. So what is it that changes? Uh, what changes your voice, though? Well, it's your vocal cords, right? So when oxygen and air passes through your vocal cords, you know when you when you inhale helium, it's the helium is less dense than air, and it changes the vocal cords and how they move. Oh. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting when you when you look at the science behind it. But yeah. it's a result of you know the sound traveling through helium rather than air. And that rather and that's than why through... it goes away after a short period of time. Very interesting. And America's number one health issue uh, today as well, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, we started doing this segment uh, three years ago when the COVID uh, uh, epidemic uh, hit, the pandemic uh, hit. And, uh, you know, we've pretty much stayed on top of this. Uh, I know our listeners are so grateful that you've provided such great information over the past three years. But uh, on May 11th of this year, the National Public Health Emergency is going to be uh, taken off. Uh, that's been in place for, for these three years that we've been doing this segment now. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Are, does, is, is that signaling an all clear? <laughs> that's uh, that's the interesting part of it. Is what is the message that is actually going to be received by the public? From an administrative point of view and from a medical point of view, they're two totally different things, right? From a medical point of view, we still have patients who have COVID. We still have COVID out there. We still have new variants. We still have COVID patients in the hospital. But from the administrative point of view, it's very interesting and fascinating when you stop to look at the impact of this being removed. Vaccines that used to be free at some time will start to be charged for. We still have many vaccines that the government has paid for. We still have doses of Paxlovid that the government has paid for. Those will all be free until those supplies are depleted. But from that point on, we will now potentially be charged for that. I think Medicare and Medicaid will continue to do free vaccines, but it'll be interesting to see what insurance companies do. Yeah, uh, and, you know, if we had a problem getting people to get their vaccines in the past when it was free, uh, imagine what it's going to be like when you are, you know, charged for it, at least minimally charged for it with co-pays and things like that, right? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, when we look, everybody remembers, remember the long lines for vaccines. And boy, we didn't even have enough people to vaccinate. That's another thing. You know, we extended pharmacists who are great professionals and great, you know, a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. And we expanded them to be able to give vaccinations from, you know, ages three up to 18. Right. It'll be interesting to see if the states continue that to make it, again, easy for people to get vaccinated, taking one less hurdle away. But that was part of the the uh, emergency proclamation was that pharmacists could now vaccinate uh, much younger than than uh, over the age of 18. Yeah, I'm really curious if, uh, you know, if that's going to stick because uh, COVID or not, you know, getting routine vaccinations became so much easier by just going to a pharmacy and uh, getting it done. You were just really paying for the vaccination. You weren't paying for office visits and things like that, that I would suspect that a lot of healthcare organizations don't want to lose money on by, you know, continuing to let pharmacists do it when pharmacists can easily do a lot of the routine things that otherwise you'd have to make an appointment to go, you know, see a doctor, take up the time of the healthcare uh, professionals when really, you know, you go to you go to Walgreens to buy some beef jerky and you can get your uh, vaccines at the same time. Absolutely. From a convenience point of view is one thing. These are highly educated individuals. Everybody has to know that the vast majority of pharmacists are doctors. They have PhDs in pharmacy. You know, so these are highly educated people. And, and COVID probably, one thing it did is it probably raised the awareness of the professionalism of pharmacists. These are not people who just count out pills and hand them to you. They are highly educated individuals. So this has actually been good for them. Um, to show that they can play more of a part of the role of healthcare than what has been thought of them in the past. So um, we really appreciate everything the pharmacists do. I think being the other thing that people understand, you know, we had a lot of traveling nurses. We had nurses traveling across the country here, going from where, you know, different hotspots. And each nurse is licensed in each individual state. Well, as of that date, your license goes back to the state that you were licensed in. Oh, wow. So, in other words, if I'm a nurse and I'm from uh, North Carolina and I came up to, to Illinois to because that was where I really wanted to work at this time, when this uh, authorization goes away, that individual has to go back to North Carolina or get a license here in Illinois right. and be able to practice as a nurse. Seems like this would be a good time to reevaluate a lot of this because are you still seeing shortages of healthcare personnel uh you know in uh, in hospitals and you know places like that i know it it seems like since the pandemic it's been more difficult to get in to see a doctor not only you know because of the physical presence and you would do a, a telemedicine visit it just seems like like every other business everybody's short staffed is that still the case uh, with, uh, uh, you know, hospital settings, you know, medical office settings? And if so, doesn't it make more sense to kind of reevaluate who can do what so you can go to a pharmacist and, you know, get a lot of the things that you would have otherwise gotten done by going to a doctor visit? Absolutely. You know, people, if we go back to the beginning of COVID, we had many nurses who said, you know what, I know I was going to retire within these next couple of years. With what's going on right now, I'm going to take my retirement early. And that happened, and we knew it was going to happen, and it did. 
The bad thing is the front of the pipeline can't be sped up anymore. It's not like, you know, a nurse quits or, you know, we lose 20% of nurses or 10% of nurses. We, we don't have the pipeline to fill those spots. So certainly we've had to look at how do we use other individuals to help patient care techs, medical assistants, but certainly we're seeing a shortage in every portion of the field of medicine. So now I understand, you know, licensing in states is very important. I'm, I'm fortunate. I have a license in North Carolina. I have a license in Maryland. I have a license uh, here in Illinois. So I, I can move to those three states, but I can't go anywhere else. Mm. From a nursing point of view, I think we really need to look at making sure the standard is set at a level so that we can use nurses across different state lines. And I think Governor Pritzker, I think, is going to look at that from an Illinois point of view to make sure that we don't send good quality, highly trained nurses out of Illinois just because of a licensing issue. Yeah, let's uh, get some calls in here. And I've got a couple of other topics that I want to get to. But uh, let's start with Jim at 312-981-7200. You're on with Dr. Kevin Most. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, doctor, I want to thank you for the comments about pharmacists having be, um, I'm a 44-year pharmacist, 40, <laughs> graduate from 1978 in pharmacy. Quick question, though. The, uh, the, uh, back in last September is when we started our bivalent number five dose. How fast is that effectiveness waning? And if uh, can you, as a doctor and me as a pharmacist, decide to give dose number six per, pursuant to a prescription from you? So, Jim, it's interesting, you know, the way you ask the question, too, is we don't know a lot of this right now, right? Because what what's happened with COVID? We've kind of seen the surge drop down, so we're not seeing another big waves going, oh, wait a second, we've got a lot of people who have been unvaccinated who are now getting this. Also, as you know, the vaccine is preventing serious illness and hospitalization. It's not preventing you from getting uh, COVID. So we're really, I think, you know, right now, number six is not really quote-unquote approved so we're certainly are looking at saying okay look at, at least at the immunocompromised and the seniors are we going to need to give them another booster prior to the fall as we creep closer to the fall i think you're going to see the cdc and the fda come out and say you know what we're going to wait until the fall which could be concerning because as you know we've had that bump in the late summer instead of the fall seasonality that we see with influenza so Great questions, and thank you for your service. Uh, like I said, pharmacists are a, a huge partners for us, and uh, we can't say thank you enough for everything you do. Yep, I would, would 100% agree with that. Jim, thank you very much for your call. So bottom line on this, Kev, with, if uh, things go along as scheduled right now, if, you, uh, if you've been lagging getting all your vaccines, if you want to get it paid for, uh, do it before uh, May, right? When when the classification will change. Absolutely, and many people may have gotten a text over the past few days here from the Illinois Department of Public Health saying you are due for a booster. In other words, you may not have gotten that second booster. So, a reminder from the state: two things about that. One is they want to make sure we have protection as we're really going into this tail end of the influenza season, and two, more importantly. They want to make sure that you're going to be able to get that free vaccine before we blow through the the dose that were right. paid for by the federal government, and now you're going to be charged. Let's take a break. We'll come back. More phone calls and texts for Dr. Kevin Most, 312-981-7200. Dr. Kevin Most with us to uh, talk all things health this morning at 312 
981-7200 is the phone number. And uh, if you noticed on Friday, people were wearing red clothing. Buildings were lit up with uh, red uh, lights. It was a National Wear Red Day to commemorate the kickoff of Heart Awareness Month. Uh, and, you know, we talk about COVID, we talk about a lot of uh, diseases, but still, uh, heart disease affects one American. One American dies every 34 seconds from uh, heart ailments, correct? Being hit right on the head, and you know, I don't know if people notice that people are wearing red, but it, it is a very good reminder for us, so appreciate you bringing it up. And there was two things about Friday. It was not only National Wear Red Day, but it was also for a focus on women's health as well. Um, and if you think about it, we have, we've been doing this for, like you said, three years now, every Sunday, and we've been talking COVID, 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 and yet we have to understand that other things are going on. The opioid crisis is still out there. Heart disease is still out there. Cancer is still going. So anytime we can take an opportunity to visually just remind somebody of an illness. So anybody who saw some, someone wearing red, you know, if you knew what it was for, it just is a kind of reminder of this is a disease that we control a lot of. Certainly some is genetics, but a lot of it is controlled by our lifestyle choices. And really, if you want to make an impact in your own health and the health of those around you, understand how important heart disease is. You know, like Dean said, you know, American every 34 seconds dies. 700,000 deaths a year from heart disease, an illness that, or a condition, medical condition that we have a lot of control over. So, uh, thanks for that reminder, Dean, and hopefully everybody just kind of thinks about that and what they can do for their own health to decrease their chance of heart disease. Yeah, well, we you know just recently had uh, the death of Lisa Marie Presley, although the official cause of death has not been announced yet. It is suspected that uh, that was cardiac-related. There's a huge history of uh, heart trouble in the Presley family. Uh, singer Irene Cara died recently. Uh, only 63 years old, and it was just announced the other day that uh, her death was caused uh, were, was heart related, but it was high blood pressure uh, which caused the uh, the the heart failure. Uh, things that probably a lot of us are walking around with, and you know maybe we know and maybe we don't, uh, or we know and we don't really pay very much attention to it. But something as, uh, you know, ha- having high blood pressure can cause a lot of different things, right? <laughs> Dean, you hit it right on the head, and people may not understand it. High blood pressure is the leading cause of heart attack and stroke in the United States. Very simple sentence that we say over and over and over again. But let me tell you, it also can damage your eyes, it can damage your kidneys, it damages your heart. But if I, You'd be surprised if I said one in three adults has high blood pressure in this country, and only about one half of them have it under control. Now, I can't look at you and say, oh, you know, I'm a doctor. I can look at you and try to make a diagnosis. I can't look at you and say you have high blood pressure. I have to measure that to see because there's no really outward signs of it. But certainly individuals who don't go to the doctor, please, Get a blood pressure cuff from the Walgreens or order one from Amazon. Understand what the numbers are and get your blood pressure treated. It's good for your heart health. It's good for your eyes. It's good for your kidneys. And it really will extend your life if you can keep your blood pressure under control. Are there red flags uh, that people should know that they may 
uh, be a candidate for high blood pressure? Well, actually, there are. But by that time, it is usually really high. In other words, you know, we really would love to keep people's blood pressure you know, below 140 over 90. And really, we're even trying to be much more aggressive than that now. But you can walk around and be totally asymptomatic with a blood pressure of 170 over 100. Mm. Now, certainly some people are going to get pounding headaches and they know when their blood pressure, quote unquote, my blood pressure is up. But by that time, it's hitting a point where you're symptomatic, where most people will have high blood pressure and be totally asymptomatic. And that the damage that is being done is being done at the microvascular, the smallest portions of the of the blood vessels that we have, which unfortunately are in our kidneys and our eyes and our heart. People want to get more info on that. What's the best way to do it? You know, American Heart Association is great. Not only does it go about uh, go across about educating you about the, um, the what to look for, but also will tell you about risk factors. You know, and saying here are the things. And you think about this: we can control high blood pressure with exercise, diet, decreasing sodium intake, and medications if we need. High cholesterol, we certainly can do that with diet and with medication. Smoking, everybody knows not to smoke. Diabetics, type 1 diabetics where you need insulin, okay, we're going to have to deal with that. That's an illness. Type 2 diabetes, which is often due to being overweight and inactive, we can do something about that. Obesity, physical activity, unhealthy diet, think about that. A lot of those that I just mentioned right there are lifestyle changes that we can make personally to increase our heart health. Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. Have a great Sunday, Kev. Thank you so much. You got a team. We'll talk soon.